Let's just invite the Lord. I know several of you are visiting today. Uh, several of you know the Lord and are excited to hear from his word. Uh, several may not know the Lord. Uh, I believe every time we open up the word of God that he speaks to us. And I'm just going to invite you uh, to receive what God has to say to you today. Would you pray with me, please? Our great Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for who you are. Lord, our desire today is to do nothing less than to bring you glory. Lord, as we open your word, our desire is not just to hear words on a page, but to, through your Son and by your Spirit, hear you and be transformed more into the image of your glorious Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that as we look into your word today, that that would take place. Lord, that through your Spirit this morning, there would be different marks in different people's lives of a closer journey and walk with you. And Father, we give you all the praise, all the glory, all the thanks, and all the honor. In Jesus' name, and all God's people agreed and said... Amen. This morning I want to talk to you about going for the goal. Going for the goal. And the reason I wanted to do that is, have you ever realized how many times in life that you're part of something where you're asking yourself the question, what's the point? I find that the older I get, the less tolerant I am if I don't know what the point is. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody? I mean, it could be a business meeting, uh, it could be uh, a family gathering, it could be something at church. If we really don't know what the point is, we become to be, grow very impatient or intolerant in those things. And I think very specifically when it comes to our life with Jesus Christ, sometimes we're asking the question, what's the point? And the reason is, is it's so easy to drift, isn't it? I mean, we live in a culture where we love people to give us motivational speeches and we celebrate big days. But many times, just because we celebrate the big day does not necessitate that we're going to have success in what we're celebrating. Uh, for instance, we're, we're moving into wedding season, aren't we? I mean, lots of weddings. You're going to either, maybe you're getting married or you're going to be part of going to a wedding or something like that. Uh, just because you have a successful wedding day does not guarantee future success in your marriage, does it? You say amen? Okay. Uh, graduations. A lot of people graduating now. Junior high, high school, college, post-college work. Uh, just because you go to a graduation ceremony where somebody hands you a diploma and announces upon you all the credentials due unto you does not necessitate the fact that when you go out and work that you're going to be successful, does it? Uh, no more is it true that just because we've come into a relationship with Jesus Christ at some moment, and for those of you who have, I want you to think about that moment for a second and what that was like, uh, when the freshness of the living God of Jesus Christ came pouring into your heart through the Holy Spirit. And just because He did that does not guarantee that from that moment on you are living the life that God requires you to live, does it? And so this morning I want to take a look at what does it mean to go for the goal? What is the purpose of us being here in this world as Christians? Because I find for many people, many Christians, they, they're frustrated and they struggle because they said, well, I came to Christ, I really do know Him, but how come it is I can't seem to live it out and I keep repeating all the same sins I've always done? And it usually boils down to two different things. We either become prideful by hiding our sins that we don't think are that noticeable, and we become this person that says, well, I've got it all figured out. Don't you wish you could be like me? You know people like that? Or we become a person that says, I can never get this thing right. Uh, there's just something about me. Every time I try to pursue Christ, every time I try to go for him, I'm just not as passionate as some of those people at my church. I guess it just didn't take. I guess I'm just not getting it. 
And both views are wrong. And so this morning I want to look at a familiar scripture in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 21 and I'll read them. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the ushers have one for you that they'd love to give you. You can just kind of throw up a hand and they would uh, be happy to bring you one. Uh, just keep it raised so they can see you. And I'll read through this and then I want to unpack five different things from this text that God would tell you to pursue. That he wants you to go for the goal. Because God's greatest desire, he has a purpose for you and he has a desire for your life that aligns with what he wants. As I set up this text, just know this. I've been teaching how to study the book of Philippians, but I haven't been able to preach it. And so I'm very excited to preach uh, this morning. Uh, One of my favorite books in the Bible. It's very short. It's only four chapters long. And this church was called Philippi. It was a city. Uh, it was Roman occupied. And that's why you get the book Philippians because Paul wrote to this church in Philippi. And he loved this church. I mean, when he wrote them, he started thanking them for their support of him. And he was confident that what God started, he was going to complete. And he said, only continue to walk this thing out. Continue doing what you were doing. Whether I come and see you or not, just let me hear that you're still walking with the Lord. And he said, let your example be that of Christ Jesus in chapter 2. And he talks about the humility of Christ, how Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, fully God, humbled himself to become fully man and died in our place for the sins of the world and was resurrected into glory. And then in chapter 3, Paul begins to talk about how to have righteousness in Christ. And he talks about for all the things that he used to be, that doesn't matter. All that stuff fades in comparison to knowing Jesus. And so he's just gotten done talking about the fact that he knows Christ and that that's the, the goal of his life and that he's got it. But let's read 12 through 21 and then go back. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or already am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame with their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. As we talk about going for the goal, I mean, Paul's whole emphasis on this entire scripture of these verses is to pursue Christ. And so this morning I want to talk about five things that we need to take a look at when we're pursuing Christ, okay? And the first one is this. We need to pursue Christ with a passionate focus on meeting Him. We need to pursue Christ with a passionate focus on meeting Him. Notice what he says. Uh, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Uh, notice this. The Apostle Paul, uh, the greatest apostle who ever lived, uh, maybe the most godly man ever in the history of the church says, uh, not that I've obtained it already or not that I'm already perfect. Uh, Paul would be the first to admit to you, I'm not all that. Okay? If he can admit that, guess what? So can you. Amen? You're not perfect. Did you know that before you came in here this morning? If you're married and you didn't know it, just ask your spouse. She'll tell you, okay? You're not perfect. 
Why is it every time that we come into church, we pretend that we are? I mean, we can be driving into church, getting in a huge argument in our car, frustrated to death with our family, frustrated with what's going on in the business world, and we walk into church and somebody says, hey, how's it going? And we go, hey, it's great. How are you? You're not perfect. None of us are. Doesn't that feel comforting to you? I think sometimes we try to play the charade at church that we got it all figured out. And we can learn enough scripture and we can learn enough verbiage and we can learn enough Christianese to be talked the talk. But when it comes right down to it, no matter who you meet, if they're still living and breathing, even if they've been a Christian for 75 years, they're not perfect. And you know what? Neither are you. Paul says we need to pursue Christ with a passionate focus on meeting him. Why? Because we've not obtained it already. But what he does is he presses on to make it his own because Christ Jesus has made him his own. What did Christ Jesus do for Paul? Christ Jesus radically saved the Apostle Paul. How did he do it? Through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. The same way Paul got saved is the same way that everybody gets saved. There's only one way to get saved and that's to know Jesus Christ. It's through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And Paul says, even though Christ has made me his own, I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of for me. In other words, Paul, Paul says, Jesus took me. I'm radically saved. And this is where the New Testament sometimes may be confusing if you haven't spent a lot of time in it. Because you'll read scriptures like in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, uh, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Or Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Uh, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or Ephesians 2.6, it says that we've already been seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And we're like, well, if I'm already there, then how come my present reality doesn't feel like I am? If I really am a Christian who's pursuing Christ, why is it when I look in the mirror that I see things in my life that don't measure up? Here's why. Because when God saved you, uh, and the scriptures would say, he's positionally set you apart unto holiness. And what God says he's going to, to do and complete in you, he's going to get done. Romans 8.28 says those God called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also sanctified. And those he sanctified, he also glorified. If you become a Christian, it's as good as done that you will meet Christ and be glorified. But presently in this world, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. And what it doesn't mean, notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, uh, not that I haven't already obtained this or I haven't already been made perfect. So I sit like a lump and wait for Jesus to do something. Does he say that? Or I say, oh, well, it's just sin. It's no big deal. I don't really care anymore. If God wants to change me, that's his job. Is that what he says? No, he says, not that I've obtained this already. Uh, Not that I've already been made perfect, but here's what I do. I press on. Uh, This word is I pursue. I am going after with the full intention of what Christ took hold of me. What's God's goal of in Paul's life and in the life of every Christian? That we would be transformed in the glorious image of his son. We're going to see it later in the text. And so God's goal in all of everybody's life as a Christian is the day that we meet him face to face and God transforms us into his glorious image. That's God's goal in the life of every believer. That was God's goal in Paul's life. You know what Paul's saying? My goal is the same as Jesus' goal is for me. I am pressing on until that day that I get there. As a Christian, if you want to grow in your relationship with Christ, make that your focus. Presently, pursue Christ with a focus on meeting Him. Notice what he says. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Uh, he, He talks to them as friends. Paul's not talking down to them and saying... I'm, I'm ahead of you guys and you guys aren't all that. He's saying, brothers, I don't consider I'm there either. 
I'm in the same journey with you. But here's one thing I do. Uh, Forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. One thing I do, I, I forget what's behind and I strain forward what's ahead. I find that many Christians live looking in their rearview mirror that's 10 times the size of their windshield. You know what I'm talking about? And instead of pressing on towards Christ, we're going like this all the time. Oh, why did I sin like that? Oh, why was I born in that family? How come I didn't get the advantages they have? Why is my work so hard? And we either live with shameful things of sin that we've done in the past, and we tell the devil every day, go ahead and remind me of that so I can bring it up in my mind and I'll accomplish nothing except feeling sorry for myself. Or we like to live in our past accomplishments of, hey, look at all I did. Aren't I pretty good? I remember when I did that. I remember when I did that. Paul says, I forget what lies behind. Well, why is that such a big deal? Well, because Paul has just come out of a chat, uh, of verses where he's been writing the Philippians and saying, if anybody has the chance to glory in their flesh, it's me. I got the right heredity and I got the right accomplishments. I was born in the right family. I had all the right things happen to me. Um, I'm the most religious of the day. Uh, anybody wants to go toe-to-toe with me for doing all the right stuff, it's me. I've got it. And now he says, but I, can, I count it all loss to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say that he considers it rubbish. And that word rubbish in the New Testament would be like excrement or fecal matter. Uh, it's the idea of some steamy pile of dung. Paul says, that's what I consider my past. When you look at your past, Paul says, here's the deal. I, 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 don't, I don't glory in anything I've accomplished, and I don't remember all the sin. And when Stephen was being stoned and I was giving approval, that's not what I focus on. My focus is on my Savior, the person of Jesus Christ, and I am passionately pursuing Him with everything I have. That's His goal. Do you know what you passionately pursue? Uh, you can pretty much ask people that are around you because it's usually what you talk about. Uh, it's usually what you're doing something with. You ever been around somebody who's passionate about sports? What do they talk about? What do they watch? What do they read about? What do they focus on? Sports. You ever been with somebody that's passionate about Jesus Christ? What do they talk about? What are they reading? What are they thinking about? And here's the truth. If you're going to passionately pursue Christ... Um, there's going to be some others that may not want to hang out with you. Have you ever noticed when you're in a lull in your Christian faith and you're around somebody that's passionately pursuing the Lord, they're almost annoying? Do you know what I'm talking about? Who do they think they are? They think they're people that love their Savior. They're thankful for what God has done in their life. And they're going after Him to make the same goal that God has for them their goal. What's your goal? That I would meet Him. That I would meet Christ. I'm forgetting the past and I'm straining forward towards what is ahead. That's a comfort for us. Do you know why? Because all of us have baggage. Do you know that? I mean, look at the person next to you. You don't have to tell them that, but just say, I know you got baggage. We all have stuff from our past. Every time I preach in Peoria, I'm standing in a pulpit like this and thinking, man, every major sin I've sinned is within a short radius of right here. Right? <laughs> I don't focus on that. I don't focus on what I could do. My focus is a person. I mean, even for Paul, it's not about building the church, right? Jesus said, I'll build the church. What's our focus? It's on Jesus. 
It's not about going and building Harvest Denver or being part of building Harvest Peoria. It's about focusing on Jesus. If you'll focus on that, he'll take care of building his church. Amen? Passionately focus on meeting him. See, I find so many people that are Christians that have truly been born again and are saved but have no desire to meet Christ. It, it, it doesn't even make sense. The goal of your faith is to meet him, the person of Jesus, to align yourself with him so much that he consumes you. It's much like when you are dating your spouse or if you're in a relationship where your, your girlfriend or boy, it's consuming. I remember my wife when. It was just consuming. I wanted to talk to her on the phone all the time and be around her all the time and have her talk to me all the time. And that's how Paul felt about Jesus. That needs to be our focus is pursuing the person of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says this, pursue Christ with an attentive ear and an obedient, steadfast heart. If you're going to pursue Christ, you need to pursue him with an attentive ear and an obedient, steadfast heart heart notice what he says let those of us who are mature think this way and if in anything you think otherwise god will reveal that also only let us hold true to what we have already attained Um, that word mature there is also the same word perfect paul was doing a play on words there he's already got done saying nobody's perfect he said let those of us who are perfect think this way in other words those of us who would consider ourselves perfect in the christian faith realize we've been perfected in christ declared that but we're not there yet and If you're truly mature in the faith, this is the only way you can think about it. If you're mature in the faith, you'll realize that God has saved you and set you apart for something holy. And he's going to bring you in relationship to him. But don't use that as an easy button to say, oh, well, it's no big deal. One day I'll get there. Use that as an opportunity to say, since that's what God wants for me, that's what I want from God. And I'm going to go after him with everything I have. And Paul says, if any of you think differently on that, God will show you that I'm right. Uh, he says, if there's anything that you think differently on, spend time in the Word. Uh, spend time with God. Let the Holy Spirit show you because He'll convict you of the fact that the most important thing He wants you to do is get to know Him and pursue Him with everything that you have. For many of us, we, we, we know what to do. It's, it's like when you hear a good message or a motivational speaker, like, oh, that was so good. I totally needed to hear that. And the next day you're like, I can't remember one point that guy said, but it was really, really good. Right? Paul says, no. Spend time with the Lord with attentive ears and a willing and steadfast heart to God. Continue to go after him. If you do, what God will do is he'll show you areas in your life that he is still working on trying to change. If you live to be a hundred years old and have been walking with Christ your whole life, he'll still have things that he's trying to change. So keep an attentive ear and a willing and open heart. That's why God gave us the word. Why would almost the entirety of the New Testament been spent on commands for us to live by if we'd already had them all figured out? Why would the Bible have to say, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth if once we became a Christian, no unwholesome talk ever came out of our mouth? Why would God tell Christians to avoid sexual immorality if once you became a Christian, you were just pure all the time? The New Testament wouldn't need to be written We could just say, well, I'm a Christian. I don't sin anymore. And some people say stuff like that. And it's untrue. God gave us the word so we'd spend time in it with an attentive ear to what he's saying and an obedient and receptive heart. So don't get nervous if you say, well, hey, I became a Christian. It was all, you know, sweet smelling flowers and roses and it was great. And then I started to work, walk with God. And now he's showing me all this garbage in my life. This isn't fun. That's normal. 
And I find the closer we get to his glorious light and the longer I walk with God, and I've been doing it for 21 years, the more sensitized I get to little things and little sins in my life that really aren't that little anymore. That's maturity. As you're going with Christ, if you ever get to a place where you're like, well, I don't hear his voice anymore, and I think I'm pretty good, and I think I'm pretty much there, um, pursue him. That should be a warning signal. I love being with people when they're like, man, I don't know what's going on. I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to pursue Christ, but he keeps showing me all this sin. Am I still a Christian? I'm like, yes. That's evidence that you are because non-believers don't get that. You're going to see that later in the text. So don't get upset if you're walking with God and he begins to show you stuff. That's what he loves to do to his kids because he's bringing you into perfection. That's his goal. That should be your goal too. Pursue Christ with an attentive ear, an obedient, steadfast heart. Notice what he says right here in the text. He says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Uh, hold fast. Stand firm with where you are. All of us are capable, even as you grow with Christ. Uh, let's say you grow out of an immoral lifestyle and God begins to bring you into a place of purity. Uh, just because he does doesn't mean that you can't stumble again. Or let's say that you used to be greedy or you had anger issues or all this and God begins to grow you out of it. It doesn't mean that you're not susceptible to that anymore. So don't stand there and think, yeah, I used to struggle with that and, you know, now I don't do that anymore. I wish you could be more like me. Don't do that. Say, by God's grace, he's grown me here. And I'm going to hold fast here until he continues to grow me more. And I'm going to hold fast there until he continues to grow me more. It's the same imagery you get in Ephesians 6 where Paul is constantly telling him, stand firm. You know, he's telling them, hold the line, be there, don't give up ground, don't retreat. I think many of us go backwards and we drift because we start pursuing Christ and we're like, is that it? Is that the end? Okay, I come to church now and I go to small group and I do some things and um, I've been doing that for a while and nothing's really changing. It's because we've lost our focus. Uh, we need to live as if Christ could come back this afternoon. Uh, we need to live as if he could come before the second service. That needs to be our focus. We need to spend our lives as if he may never come back in our lifetime. Okay? Pursue him. Don't give up ground. 30 says this. Pursue Christ with a group of other godly Christ followers. Pursue Christ with a group of other godly Christ followers. Notice what he says. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, if you just read the Bible and you're like, yeah, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, you'll miss this. What did Paul just get done saying? I'm not perfect. I haven't already obtained all this. I'm not all that. Hey, brothers, follow me. Some of you are in a position in this church who've been coming for a long time, who are waiting until you get to this like imaginary state of perfect Christianness, and then you'll start working for God. If you do, you will meet Jesus first. Okay? Serving Christ does not mean... I'm perfect now and I know all the Bible and I have a lot of Bible knowledge and I'm really a nice person and everything about me is good. It means I'm on a journey and I'm so thankful for what Christ has done in my life that I can't contain this and I want other people to grow with me. Follow me. And you really want to know how to grow? Get a group of people around you that are looking to you for what spiritual maturity looks like. And you will find yourself trying to sprint to keep ahead of where they're at. It will grow you more than anything else. I mean, as a youth pastor, when I'd spend time with junior hires and they start firing questions about my life. Jeff, how do you do this? How do you spend time with that? Jeff, how do you live a pure lifestyle? Jeff, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Well, I better be doing it. Or I better be honest when I'm not. And if I could just make a plug right now, 
and Pastor Tim hasn't asked me to do this. That's why small groups are vital. You cannot walk out the Christian life on your own, period. I don't care who you are. You can't do it. Impossible. You say, well, I can. I read the Bible. I have the Holy Spirit. I watch other people on TV and I get preaching. Grand. Who is it in your life that's walking alongside of you, helping you grow in Christ-likeness? Most of us don't get in a small group because we don't want people to know us because one of two reasons. Either we've been to something like that and we've tried to become vulnerable and we've opened up and we've shared something pretty personal and somebody goes, oh, I can't believe you struggle with that and call yourself a Christian. And we're like, last time I ever come here. <laughs> ever had that experience? You can say amen here. I have. I have. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not good enough to be part of this Christian group. Or maybe you're part of the opposite, where you share something very personal and intimate, a scenario in your life, and somebody says, oh, don't worry about it, that's okay, no big deal, we all sin like that, brother. That's just as bad. What it should be in small groups is something like this. Man, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that, that's really serious. But I want to let you know, my God is so big that he can grow you. He doesn't want to leave you where you are, he wants to grow you in that. And I care about you so much, and I'm going to join you in praying for you. Because Christ-likeness is the goal. And God wants to do it here. And he doesn't want to wait until you're dead. So let me pray for you and come alongside of you and help you with some of the decisions you're making so you can grow in that. Do we need that? Absolutely. You can't get that on your own. That's why God created the church. So we can have the body of Christ helping us to pursue Christ. That's the purpose of the church. Otherwise, God would say, hey, so cool, it's 21st century, I have been waiting for this, now that you guys have TVs and internet, we don't need church anymore, just watch videos, you'll be cool, read your Bible. No, we need each other, we've got to have each other. Walk with a group of other Christ followers, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Paul says, find people that are pursuing christ and follow them and if you're following christ bring others along with you that's the goal that's what the christian faith is all about you say well i'm not billy graham i'm not even a preacher or worship leader or sunday school leader or anything. It's, it's cool just find christ-like people and follow them ask them how did you grow what do you do how do you get there what do i need to do and then as you're growing turn around and find people who are growing in their spiritual awareness and help them gain ground as well. Nothing will grow your faith more. Pursue Christ with a group of other godly believers. Now this fourth one, I, I've got to say, it's right in the text. We need to pursue Christ with a painful awareness of the unbeliever's peril. Uh, you need to pursue Christ with a painful awareness of the unbeliever's peril. Uh, this part of the text is so sobering for me. Paul says, uh, for many... Of whom I have often told you and now even with, tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Uh, Paul says there's a lot of people out there that are walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. Uh, what I find is it's very easy to come to church. It's, it's easy to sit here. Nobody's going to come find you out. Nobody's going to ask you to stand on the stage and share your life story or do anything like that. You can hide here. Uh, it's very easy in American culture to talk about Jesus, isn't it? Uh, it's very easy to say, well, I prayed this prayer. I did this thing. I, all this kind of stuff. But if you really get down to it with some people and you tell them, you know what, there's only one way. 
There's only one way to know God, and it's the person of Jesus Christ. And when he shed his blood on Calvary, and when he was being beaten, and when nails were being driven into his hands and his feet, it was to restore his Father's glory, and it was because of his great love for humanity. That's why he did it. And he died in your place because of your rebellion against God, and you need to repent of your sin and turn toward him and follow him. Uh, You can be really cool. You can be like the cool Christian person who's going to hang out with all the non-believers and they're going to think you're really cool uh, until you say that. I mean, you can whisper that and now all of a sudden you don't fit anymore. Because there's many that live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Many will say that's fundamentalist. Many will say that's old school. Many will say that's not true. Many will say there's many other ways. And the Bible will say that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They cannot understand the cross unless God by his grace reaches down and grabs them. God is the author and perfecter of faith. And Paul says he's not mad at non-believers. Paul is not talking down to non-believers. Paul says, I am telling you this with tears. I am weeping when I think of all of the people who do not love the Savior of the world. It makes me weep. It should make you weep too. Don't ever get calloused about non-believers. Don't ever get to a place like, well, that's their business. They're just being that way. Pray for them. Paul says, I'm telling you with tears, many people live that way. I I was praying last night. I was up late as I was praying for this. And it always pains me every time to know that there are most likely people that sit under the teaching when I teach that are enemies of the cross of Christ. That, that will hear a message like this and say, that's what he says, but I don't believe that. And even if I did, I'm not going to do anything with it. And here's what Paul says about you. He says their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame with their mindset on earthly things. Paul says that those who live as enemies of the cross of Christ, and you might say, well, I don't think Jesus is a bad guy. I think he's a good guy. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying the cross of Christ and believing in the cross of Christ is understanding that Christ died in your place for your sins, and it was because of you that he was on that cross. That he's the only way. There's no other God. That all your best works and best efforts mean nothing. That all of your good intentions mean nothing. That's what he's saying. And for those that live that way, he says their end is destruction. Now, destruction doesn't mean the end. Uh, the way the Bible would talk about destruction uh, would be eternal torment and punishment in a literal physical hell. Where there's outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where there is eternal conscious torment for the rest of eternity for how you rebelled against the Savior. Paul says, it makes me weep to think that some people live that way. It just causes me grief. He says, how do you know who they are? He says, well, their God is their belly. It doesn't just mean that they were gluttons or that they had big appetites. It meant it was a metaphor for everything sensual in their appetite. I want what I want when I want it. And I want it now. That's how enemies of the cross of Christ live. Instead of living to glorify God, they live to glorify one person themselves. I'm going to live my life for me. And may God have mercy on so many preachers in this country that preach that that's what the gospel is. God did not send his son so that you could be happy. God did not send his son so you could make more money and be blessed. God sent his son because you are a sinner and in need of God's grace. And he was calling you into repentance so that you would know the savior of the world and trust him and glorify him with your life. That's why Jesus came. And he said this. They glory in their shame. Not only do they indulge all their appetites and say, I'm going to live for me when I want to live that way and do what I want to do when I want to do it. But you know what? They celebrate that with all their friends. They say, this is the way it is. This is awesome. And if you don't believe that that's the world we live in, turn on your TV at any time of the day and you will see classic examples of this. And it should make you weep. 
it should make you weep. Because Paul just got done telling us the chapter before that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And don't for one second think that when every person on this planet bows their knee and calls Jesus Lord, that we'll stand over them and say, told you so. It'll be painful to watch people who have never trusted in our Savior do that, knowing the impending judgment of eternity that's coming on their life with the weight of God's wrath. So it could be painful. It's a very sobering text. It's hard to preach this because it's not the fun text, but it's glorious. Because it says these people have their minds set on earthly things. Jesus said, do you realize that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? I mean, the more comfortable you are here and your focus set on the things here and what your job's going to bring you and the house you're going to live in and all the things you're going to do, the more you live as enemies of God. God says, put your focus on me. Make me your focus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. I'll take care of all that. You take care of glorifying me and loving other people. I'll take care of you. That's the Bible in a nutshell. He says many live that way. And friend, I just want to tell you, if you came here, I don't know if you're visiting, I don't even know who you are. And you feel the weight of God's impending judgment on your shoulders. Or you're sitting there saying, I can't wait to get out of here. This guy's ticking me off. That is the spirit of the living God showing you your need for repentance. And I would beg you. I would just beg you that God in his mercy loves you so much that he's given you an opportunity today to come into a faith relationship with him. Turn from yourself and turn to God and begin to walk with him. Does that mean you'll be perfect? No, we've already been over that all morning. But it means that um, there's evidence that you want to be part of his team and walk his way. But then comes the good news. (laughs) I love this section of scripture. Paul says to pursue Christ with an eager expectation of our coming Messiah. Notice what he says. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The Philippians would have understood being a city away from Rome, outside of Rome, that was still occupied by Roman authority and rule. And Paul was saying, in the same way you have to be under their rule, let me tell you something else. What you're truly citizens of is the kingdom of heaven and King Jesus and live under his reign and rule. You know why? Because he's coming soon to a city near you. That's what he was saying. Now, on your driver's license, as you pull it out, most of us have an Illinois driver's license that says, you know, you're a citizen of Illinois, or perhaps most of us are citizens of the United States. Uh, When I move out to Colorado, I'll I'll change my driver's license, say I'm a citizen of Colorado, but I'm still a citizen of the United States. But what's always true, whether I'm here or in Colorado or I've traveled to Indian, is I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and King Jesus is my king, and I'm always under his authority, no matter where I go and when I go, and I am looking forward to his return. Because not only will he come back and will say, oh great, nice to know you're here, but the Bible says that the upward call of God and Jesus Christ that we read about this morning is when the lips of the angel are on the trumpet, and God the Father says to the Son, go get him, and and we rise in glory. And it won't be this body, praise God right it's not this I don't know what it's going to look like but it's better than this when Jesus rose from the dead his body could ascend and descend and go through walls and do all sorts of things it will never spoil perish or fade I'm hoping for long glowing flowing blonde locks I don't know what I'm getting but I know it's going to be glorious and I won't know how to sin anymore because at that time Jeff Swarzentraub will be perfect in Christ I won't know how to gossip. I won't know how to lust. I won't know how to have bitterness in my heart. 
I, I won't know how to speak poorly about somebody else. I, I won't know how to do anything wrong. The only thing I'll know how to do is glorify God and love people. And guess what? Everybody named by the name of Christ, that's all we'll know how to do. There will never be Christians ever again that can't get along. It would be impossible. For that alone, it's glorious. Amen? Paul says we're citizens of heaven. Do you realize that this morning, if you trusted in Christ, you're a citizen of God, the Father Almighty, who rules and reigns? And you say, well, where does he get this power to change my body? Uh, Glad you ask. Glad you ask. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By what? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You say, well, how, how much power does he really have? Well, thanks for asking. Open up your Bible to Genesis 1 sometime and read the first sermon that Jesus ever preached. Said, six days, six 24-hour days, let there be and bam, stuff happened. It was a pretty powerful sermon. Came six points, six days, bam, everything happened. That's pretty powerful. And in Colossians 1, it says that for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you know why you even breathe right now? Because God's holding you together. Do you know why all of that blood flows through your body? Because God's holding you together. Do you know why every atom in your body and every brain cell is there? Because God is holding you together. If God says, I'm just kind of tired today. I don't want to hold you anymore. You're done. God holds everything together. The same power that created the world, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, is the same power that's going to take your lowly, miserable, sinful, sick-stained body and turn it into the same glorious body of His Son. And that should be what you're pursuing every day of your life. Now, if I'm going after that, my whole life changes, doesn't it? Because if I'm going to pursue Christ with everything I have, then maybe my priorities change a little bit, don't they? I mean, if I'm really serious about this Jesus thing, if I, if I really believe that I'm not just going after some church event, but I'm going after a person, the God of the universe, and that is my focus, He is my focus, and I'm doing everything for Him, then all my priorities should be aligned from what's to come. You know, I know it doesn't look like it, but I've ran three marathons. I should say steadily plotted three marathons. And even after I've trained... Lots of times, and John, I know you you probably didn't have the same problem I did. But about mile 19 on a marathon, they're 26 miles long. I don't care how much you train. It hurts. And it's tiring. And you can't see the finish. I mean, seven miles is a long way away. And it usually goes around curves. And so the only thing you have to gauge by is where you're at. And I don't know how many times that I've been on one of those courses where I've said, Why did I do this? So, so stupid. Where's anybody encouraging me right now? You know, I'm in the back alley of some Chicago neighborhood and nobody's here cheering for me. Who cares if I finish? I'm not setting any world records today anyway. You know what I'm talking about? I think spiritually we do the same thing. Well, I'm just an ordinary Christian and I'm not really even a leader in the church and I'm just average. And so God's getting the best that he's ever going to get from me. Don't think for a second that's true. Because every time you start backing up, you end up impacting the hole. You really do. Remember, I was putting a puzzle together uh, years ago at a camp, and it was a thousand-piece puzzle. And uh, by the time we got done, we realized we only had 999 of the pieces. It was one empty. And I remember kids coming in from my youth group, and uh, 
you know, you would think that they would say, hey, Pastor Jeff, hey, great job on that puzzle on those 999 pieces. But they never said that. You know what they said? They'd come in and be like, uh, dude, you're missing a piece. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate you noticing. That's exactly when God looks down from heaven. If you're the one person saying, I'm just average, it's no big deal. God says, I'm missing a piece. Why? Because when the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that God saved you by grace, uh, not by works so that no one can boast. The next verse says, for you are God's workmanship prepared in Christ Jesus beforehand to do good works, which you're to walk into. God didn't create you and save you to let you sit like a lump and complain and whine. God saved you to go for him. And yeah, I get it. Back to the marathon. I'm walking and I'm running and I'm walking and I'm running. But I know the end is in sight. And I remember the first one I ever finished. I had trained for a couple years to get to where I could do it. And I remember crossing that finish line. And unbeknownst to me and a shock to me, I began to weep. I started crying. I remember hugging my cousin who trained with me and ran it with me. And I was so moved because I'm like, I can't believe I just ran 26.2 miles. Not totally ran, ran walk. I can't believe I finished. <laughs> right? And it was glorious, but it gave me a picture of what it's going to be like for all of us. None of you are perfect. All of us stumble. All of us need help getting back up. But keep going because the moment you cross the line to the upward call of God in Jesus Christ, you will say, I'm here. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you will be transformed into his glorious image for how long? For all eternity. It's worth it. Pursue him with everything you have. Pursue him with everything you have. I just want to end by challenging you today. If you came in here this morning and you don't know the Lord, or you got dragged here by a friend, and like, you need to come to my church, and you're like, oh man, never heard anything like this before. That's the spirit of the living God speaking to your heart, letting you know this. I love you so much that I sent my one and only son to die for you because I wanted to have a relationship with you. Would you take your focus off yourself and put it on me? Would you turn from your sin and turn to my son, Jesus Christ? Friend, you can do that right where you are, sitting right where you're at today. Tell the Lord Jesus Christ you want to turn from your self-centered, sinful lifestyle and turn your life over to him. And for those of you here today who would say, I'm a Christ follower, but man, I needed to hear that. I, I, I need to pursue him more diligently. I would encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, what's the next step you need? Uh, is it joining a small group? Is it beginning to get involved in a ministry? Is it, is it uh, beginning to walk at deeper levels? Is it having greater accountability in your life? What is the thing for you that you need? Because God's goal for your life is to grow you to a place where you're walking and pursuing Him with everything you have. That's His goal for you. God did everything for us. He saved the day. He's never going to change. He made a way for you. It's going to be all right. You know that? You know what you're going through, the struggles that you have? They're temporary. It's going to be all right. Now, Paul talked about his light and momentary afflictions, which was like beating, stoning, um, all those kind of things. Light and momentary afflictions. Uh, we all have some light and momentary afflictions in here, some of them with the economy, some with our health, some with the finance. It's going to be all right. God saved the day. He saved the day. 